Welcome to the Who, What, Why podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sheckman. Fox News, a name synonymous with American media, rose to prominence well before the polarizing era of Donald Trump. Its roots really trace back to talk radio, the precursor to today's right-wing media landscape and the original social network of its time. Talk radio, once a diverse platform for spoken word content, evolved into a potent force in political discourse, reshaping political adversaries into foes and normalizing overt racism and hostility as central trends in the GOP platform. This shift, which cleverly disguised ignorance as common sense, blurred the boundaries between entertainment and influence, left a lasting impact on the American consciousness, and paved the way for a new era in media. In October 1996, Fox News was launched and immediately recognized the potential to transform the raw confrontational energy of talk radio into a visually engaging television format. Fast forward to December 2020, and we encounter the narrative that Brian Stelter unfolds in his compelling real-time book, Network of Lies. The book offers an in-depth analysis of Fox's role in disseminating misinformation and shaping political narratives, especially concerning the 2020 presidential election and its fallout. Stelter, a seasoned media analyst, former CNN host, and contributing editor to Vanity Fair, leverages his extensive experience to provide a meticulous exploration of Fox News' journey and the propagation of the big lie. His book, Network of Lies, delves into the intricacies of the almost billion-dollar defamation lawsuit filed by Dominion Voting Systems, exposing the network's internal contradictions and duplicity. The book reveals how figures like Tucker Carlson and Rupert Murdoch privately disavowed the false narratives that they publicized on the air. It also examines Carlson's profound influence on the GOP, his role in popularizing white nationalism, and the circumstances surrounding his departure from Fox. Stelter critically assesses the network's disdain for expertise and culture and its contribution to the erosion of our democratic values. Additionally, Network of Lies sheds light on Rupert Murdoch's historical significance and speculates on the full trajectory of Fox News within the broader context of American politics and media. In an era dominated by alternative facts, where every story and half-truth can fuel a wildfire of misinformation, the struggle for truth becomes ever more challenging. Network of Lies is a timely exploration of this complex and contentious landscape. It is my pleasure to welcome Brian Stelter back to this program to talk about Network of Lies, the epic saga of Fox News, Donald Trump, and the battle for American democracy. Brian, thanks so much for joining us on the Who, What, Why podcast. Thank you for the generous introduction. Good to be here. Well, it is a delight to have you here. You've been covering Fox News for a long time. You've written about it previously. As you dug into this story, and we'll talk about how it got started and how it exploded the way it did, talk about the changes that you had seen over the years in Fox, in Fox News, and how it had become even more insular in, in, in how it approaches its work. Yeah, I think Fox's history over more than 25 years is a history of right-wing turns, <laughs> right-wing turn. Uh, they, they, they go farther, further, further to the right, uh, whether that's the election of Barack Obama or, uh, in, you know, more recently, the election of Donald Trump and then the big lie about Trump's election loss. Um, I think it was very clear that when uh, 
Biden was named uh, president when he was projected to be president-elect, and then he was inaugurated. The Fox audience hated to hear it, and the Fox audience, a very radicalized audience, wanted to hear something different. And and, and Fox served that audience, served them up a lie instead of, of what was really going on, at least on some of the talk shows. So I think that's a, you know it's the most recent dramatic example. Something that's going on for a long time, which is uh, Fox catering to the audience, but also pushing the audience even more in a radical direction. And does it seem that that over time that their confidence in their audience, their confidence in their connection to their audience really Mm. allowed them to have this sense that they could keep pushing the audience further and further and further? Yes, I think that's right. I think uh, the the view within Fox, and this is an accurate view, is that Fox basically has a monopoly, that, that Fox basically has control over the GOP viewing audience in the United States. You referenced uh, talk radio, right-wing talk radio, you know, in, in much the same way that Rush Limbaugh was far and away the biggest star on talk radio for dec- decades. Fox News has far and away been the number one television source uh, for conservatives for decades. And yes, there are competitors as wannabes, there's rivals like Newsmax that, 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 that around the edges might make a little bit of a dent, but none of them make a, a serious impact. It is Fox's audience. Um, the GOP's audience is Fox's audience. And because they basically have a monopoly position, uh, I would argue they get away with a lot. They get away with too much. They're not held to account. They, um, you know, it, this is an interesting example of competition, uh, you know, <laughs> would be a good thing in this marketplace. But instead, what you get is you get a bunch of wannabes who are a lot smaller, who are even further to the right, who are even more extreme. So the, to the extent that Fox feels any competitive pressure at all, it's to go further to the right, further away from reality, as opposed to, you know, you could imagine a center right channel that cared about journalism more and cared about reality more and cared about winning elections, but based on a reality driven platform. Yeah, but no, that's that's not that's not what we're seeing today. Talk a little bit about its power and influence with relatively small numbers. I mean, when we look at Fox, two, three million viewers a night, it seems like a small number. It is on one level a small number. Jesse Waters, Greg Gaffel, Laura Ingram, they get, you know, two to three million viewers uh, a night. But here's why the number matters so much. First of all, it's not always the same two million viewers every minute of every day of every 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 night. Uh, second, uh, those viewers, uh, that core, that base, they are the GOP primary voters. You know, they're not, you know, casual news consumers. They're not uh, people who sit on elections. They are the base. They are the people who care the most. So they have uh, a a large impact for that reason. And then number three, what is said and heard on Fox radiates out throughout the network of lies. If I may borrow the name of the book, you know, this really is a network. And what starts on Fox, what, what Fox leads with, what Fox prioritizes is what ends up on the radio the next day. It's what ends up on Newsmax the next day. It's what ends up on the homepages of right wing websites the next day. So Fox is a starting point, you know, now at the same time, it's also a follower. I don't want to overemphasize the idea of Fox as a leader. I don't think they I often think they are the follower. But the, the point is that what starts with that two to three million viewers at any given time does radiate outward widely, of course, across social media as well. So even though, you know, it's only one percent of the U.S. adult population watching at any given time, uh, the real scale, the, the real influence is much, much larger. 
How much self-awareness is there within the, the upper echelons of Fox and the executive side and even among the hosts of, of the network influence that they have and, and how things can spiral out of control if it goes wrong, as it did? And we'll, we'll talk about the details of that. But how much self-awareness has there been of that? Very little. Uh, it's hard to get my sources at Fox to, t- to be introspective. Um, to think about these issues critically. I did have a couple of cases at a Fox host the morning of January 6, 2021 say to me, yeah, we've turned Ronald Reagan Republicans into extremists. You know, like she saw what was happening. She, she recognized it. There are some people at Fox who do see uh, some of the, the, the damage that's been done, but for the most part, you know, in the executive ranks, there's a defensiveness. There's a, what about right? They, they say, well, what about, what about CNN? What about MSNBC? Right. They point a finger in a different direction. There's not a lot of introspection. And I think that comes through in the Dominion emails as well. There's precious little evidence in those emails and text messages that were obtained through the Dominion lawsuit against Fox. Precious little evidence that they are really thinking about the the impact of the poison. And of course, poison's my word, right? They would never call their programming poison. Uh, but but I think uh, I think there's a, a strong argument to make uh, to, to that. Because that self-awareness seems so important in this particular story, the, the story of the Dominion case, because as you detail in, in, in your narrative of it and also in all the documentation that came out of the Dominion lawsuit, this started out as, as really one crazy lady's idea of something and exploded into a billion-dollar case. One random woman in Minnesota, yeah, a woman named Marlene Bourne who had this conspiracy theory about Dominion and Nancy Pelosi and rigged machines and hacked elections. And, and that conspiracy theory was sent to a Trump-aligned lawyer named Sidney Powell who then forwarded it to Fox host Maria Bartiromo. Maria Bartiromo then queued up Sidney Powell to talk about it on TV the next day. Now, this was floating around in the fever swamps of the internet, but there was no one else at Fox that was doing any 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 digging on this. There was no one at Fox doing real reporting about Dominion or about these voting machines. There was no one at Fox vetting the information that Maria Bartiromo was just vomiting onto television. This was just uh, you know a, a really clear example of, of reckless uh, broadcasting by Maria Bartiromo with no checks and balances, no standards and practices, none of the journalistic norms that you would expect at a major network. Now, I get some listeners are saying, well, Fox is not a journalism outfit. Yeah, uh, Fox largely is not. Fox is largely a talk and propaganda machine, but it does have some real reporters, it does have a small newsroom. So I do think we should hold Fox to high standards, the same standards we hold NBC or ABC or CBS. They they have the word news in the name, after all. They want us to call it news. So uh, this, this is an example of a failure on every level to vet, to check, to to uh, to have any standards at all. And, and the point of this story is that the lie about Dominion, it becomes part of the big lie that, that Trump tells. You know, Trump is inspired by what he hears on Fox. He goes out there and repeats these lies about Dominion. Uh, and then, of course, a couple of months later, some people are so motivated, so convinced that they board flights to Washington for January 6th. At one point, it could have gone the other way, that that many of the hosts on Fox, as you talk about, and even going all the way up to Murdoch, were fed up with Trump. They saw him as, as the loser of this election, and they thought that his, his time was up. Many Fox hosts knew the truth. 
that's what Dominion found when it gained discovery. You know, some listeners already know the discovery process happens when a when a, a lawsuit gets through the first couple stages, and and then both sides get to go through discovery. They get to look through each other's emails and texts and memos and records. And so, you know, Fox is having to hand over all these emails and text messages to Dominion. And what Dominion's lawyers find is that. Hosts such as Carlson uh, knew that Trump had lost. Hosts like Laura Ingram were, were sending messages saying Trump's always on a grievance loop, you know. And and uh, Tucker, one of my favorite messages that I found in this archive is from Tucker Carlson saying, if Trump had just run on a campaign platform of open the schools, remember this was during COVID in 2020, open the schools and uh, law and order, he could have won. He would have won. So, so you had these hosts acknowledging in private that Trump screwed up, that he lost. They did things poorly. And yet on the air, you know how it was. They were always defending him. And if they weren't defending him, they were attacking the people who criticized him. So they were still doing his bidding, even though they weren't defending him. So, so yes, they were saying one thing and they were doing another. And, and this lawsuit, uh, even though it was settled out of court for, as you said, almost a billion dollars, this lawsuit was able to expose this reality to the world. Even the Murdochs were fed up with Trump at some point. The Murdochs were so fed up, especially Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch, the patriarch, the 92-year-old uh, who started this entire thing, this, this empire. Rupert Murdoch, by 2020, was sick and tired of Trump. But nowadays, people say, people in his camp say he hates Trump. They're, they're very explicit about that. He hates Trump. Can't believe Trump's probably going to be the nominee again. But by 2020, the two men stopped really speaking, Trump and Rupert. Uh, they used to talk a lot in the beginning of the Trump presidency. There was a mutually beneficial relationship there. And, and Rupert liked cozying up to power, sucking up to power. But by 2020, Rupert had given up on Trump. Uh, he was tired of the guy. And uh, that was certainly uh, significant. Now, his son, Lachlan, Lachlan Murdoch, now the CEO of Fox Corporation, now now the one appointed by Rupert to be in charge. Lachlan Murdoch is more of a more of a distance. He doesn't care about politics as much. He doesn't want to cozy up to politicians. Um, but I'm told that he's not fond of Trump either. So, you know, these guys, although they are running a network or they're supposed to be running, uh, overseeing a network that is uh, Trump's, you know, linchpin, the, 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 the critical node in the network of lies on behalf of Trump, uh, they personally know. Uh, to, to say they're not fond of him would be a big understatement. The other thing that comes out in all of this documentation, everything that came out as you talk about in Discovery in the Dominion case is the way some of the hosts walked this this tightrope. Perhaps none walked it more than Sean Hannity. Yeah, Hannity's fascinating because Hannity during the Trump presidency was was it was you know the shadow chief of staff. That's a phrase some White House aides used for Hannity. You know, he was the shadow chief of staff. Rupert Murdoch in his deposition with Dominion said, you know, Hannity was the one with the closest relationship to the Trump White House, the closest one at Fox to the Trump White House. Hannity used his airwaves to, to promote Trump at every opportunity, to bash Trump's critics, um, you know, to 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 call real news fake and fake news real. Hannity did everything he could have done for Trump. And yet, you know, by November 2020, he gets so frustrated. He, he can't believe that Trump lost, but he's frustrated that the, the campaign's not providing proof that he won. You know, basically he wants better evidence for the big lie. He doesn't he doesn't believe what he's seen. You know, in December of 2020 and the weeks before January 6th, he's bringing on Kaylee McEnany to to claim that voter fraud is a big deal and that there's all this stuff to investigate when there's really not. And, you know, but you get the sense that Hannity, you know, he texts Mark Meadows, the actual chief of staff, about how depressed he is about the situation. You get the sense that this guy is going through the five stages of grief, uh, not able to accept Trump's loss. But by January, very early January, before January 6th, before the attack, 
Hannity is texting Mark Meadows saying, I'm very worried about what's going to happen on January 6th. I'm very worried. And I find that fascinating. That Sean Hannity, who was in touch with the White House, in touch with Trump directly, he feared what might happen that day. Was he really worried about it or was he trying to cover his own rear end? <laughs> Gosh, I would love to ask Hannity that question. Hannity's <laughs> never talked about what he knew about Trump around that time. He's never addressed Trump's state of mind uh, before and after January 6th. There's one very curious text message uh, from a few days after the attack where he's texting with Mark Meadows and saying, you know, we, we got we to gotta land this plane safely. We can land this plane safely in nine days as if Hannity is the pilot for the country, right? And you have, you know, this situation where Hannity is saying he's he was on the phone with, with, with Trump and he felt like Trump wasn't listening, that he couldn't get through to the president. He was talking to him, but couldn't get through him mentally. It, it made him sound like, uh, you know, Trump had a, you know, only one oar in the water, so to speak. You know, he, 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 here's, here's the quote from Hannity. He says, I'm not sure what is left to do or say, and I don't like not knowing if it's truly understood. It, it was like Hannity was admitting that Trump could not comprehend his basic attempts to help him. And yet, Again, Hannity's never talked about that publicly. He's never given an interview where he's addressed what he knew about, you know, Trump's plans to overturn the election or mount a coup. Hannity's kept all that a secret from his viewing audience. And I view that as a betrayal, not of not of me, but of his audience. There's also the sense, I don't know if you agree, that Hannity became, he drank his own Kool-Aid, that he became so intoxicated with what he thought was his own power that he himself had no idea what was really happening at a certain point. Uh, I think that is true. I think I, I think that's true for a number of these individuals. Um, you know, sometimes it reminds me of that phrase about getting high on your own supply. Right. You know, it was that old drug dealer phrase, don't get high on your own supply. Well, some of these figures clearly did, uh, both with regards to their own ego and believing how famous and successful and rich and all that they were, but also with regards to Trump. Talk a little bit about Tucker Carlson and, and how he fits into this equation. Well, for a while, Tucker was the face of Fox News. He was by far the network's single biggest star, the highest rated host. And, you know, he he was in some ways, you know, he personified Trumpism without Trump. He, he didn't like talking about Trump on his show. He, he often avoided talking about the president of the United States during the Trump years. He, you know, he thought Trump wasn't very effective. He, he liked Trump's campaign promises. He was frustrated that Trump wasn't always delivering. And, you know, whereas every other show and every other hour cable news was obsessed with Trump, you know, Tucker went the other direction. Uh, I think that's because he, he viewed himself as like more effective, better, better. He would be better at doing it. He'd be better at selling the policies, et cetera. You know, by 2020 of these text messages, Dominion obtains saying, I hate Trump passionately. Uh, we, of course, he also says about the anti-Trumper. He also says about the GOP, I hate them so, so much. He he basically says he hates everybody. But the point is, he he, he was privately sour on Trump. He was publicly uh, providing support by ignoring Trump's scandals, by ignoring Trump's controversies, by attacking Trump's enemies. You know, he was doing all that kind of that kind of work instead. But, yeah, I think um, I think Tucker was, uh, at least in the Trump years, you know, he thought he was kind of in some ways even bigger than Trump. He was doing his own thing. He was trying to move the Republican Party in, in a direction that he wanted with or without Trump. And, of course, as your listeners know, he was uh, ousted earlier this year. So what did Carlson want? What was it really just about himself? I think I think Carlson has a, a view of the world, an apocalyptic view of the world, you know, Armageddon at the door, doorstep. He has a view of the world that he 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 thinks he's 
um, you know, fighting back against, pushing back against. He's trying to right these wrongs, right? He he views, you know, his. I, I think Carlson was always interested in Trump's ideas, you know, restricting immigration, ending foreign wars. He was always more interested in Trump's ideas than in the man himself. Uh, you know, he he wrote very early on for Politico that you know evangelicals have embraced Trump as a bodyguard, you know, someone to shield them from the threats to their freedom of speech and worship. And it's like Carlson did the same thing. He. He knew Trump was highly imperfect, but, you know, he was driving in the same direction that Tucker wanted to drive in. So he hopped along for the ride, so to speak. One of the things that, that you talk about is that when when Carlson got fired by Fox, that it wasn't just for what happened with Dominion, that they were pretty fed up with him for a long time. They had so many reasons to let him go. And I think, you know, Tucker created an image of himself as being untouchable, as being irreplaceable. And yes, his ratings were high. And yes, he was charming, you know, in private to some people. And yes, he did have lunch with Lachlan Murdoch, the head of Fox, occasionally. But there was a portrayal and there was a real concerted effort to portray him as a buddy of Lachlan Murdoch's, as friends with the boss, friends with the owner. And that just wasn't true. So internally, there was this perception, oh, you know, Tucker's safe. He's protected. He's, he's friends with the boss. That just wasn't true. And then on top of that, not only was he not friends with the boss, the way people thought, the way Tucker claimed, to, um, Tucker pissed a lot of people off. He made a lot of enemies. He used awful language internally that was then shown to the people that he insulted. He uh, turned off advertisers and made the show less valuable than it could have been. The time slot less valuable than it could have been. He uh, indulged in so many conspiracy theories that he caused so many headaches internally. Uh, that, you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, in, in the book, I have like a two page long list of all the reasons that added up to the decision to dismiss him. In the end of the day, it wasn't one thing. It was everything. The only surprise that it took so long for the Murdochs to yank the, yank the plug. Was, was Tucker a true believer in the politics of all of this? I mean, you get the sense, certainly with Hannity and, 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 and you can speak to some of the others that. Hannity also knew that he was an entertainer. He had been in the talk radio business too long to not know that. Was Carlson <laughs> a true believer? Um, I think Carlson talked his way into becoming a true believer. I, I think at the beginning, you know, I, I, I knew Tucker 20 years ago. Um, you know, we've kept in touch until recently. Um, I, I think Tucker, you know, he, he always knew how to be provocative, combative, contrarian, you know, charming. I, I mentioned that word earlier. That was all there. And I think, you know, I, I, I believed, you know, some, you know, he's always believed in, in some core values. But I think when it comes to the conspiracies that he, he projectile vomited on the TV, the the, you know, the false flag conspiracy about January 6th, the other you know nonsense that he aired in recent years. I think that stuff he actually does mostly believe now because he talked his way into believing it. You know, if, if you if you watch enough of you know of these far right shows, if you read enough of these websites, if you listen to enough of this content, if you only have friends who believe all this stuff already, it's going to make you more susceptible to actually um, internalizing it. And I think that's what happened to Tucker. What were the relationships between the various primetime hosts? How much did they get along? How much did they feed off each other? And, or how much were they siloed? Uh, yeah, they are mostly siloed. I'm glad you used that word. They, you know, they, they mostly lived in different cities, mostly lived in different states, actually, uh, you know, had different staffs, uh, rarely interacted. 
to the extent that they did interact, you know, their show teams were, you know, and, and still are, except for Tucker, who's gone, very competitive, right? Sometimes stabbing each other in the back, you know, always wanting to be number one, always wanting to beat the other shows. Because Fox basically is a monopoly, you know, it's not like they can look at the ratings and say, you know, we, we want to try to beat that other channel, right? Fox is the number one channel on cable uh, for the most part. So it's not like they're competing against other channels. They're competing with each other internally. And that was true to some extent for the hosts as well. But what was striking about the Dominion documents is that we were able to see into the text messages between the primetime stars, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and Sean Hannity. And I spent a lot of time in the book recreating those text message chains because what you see is that even though these shows are competitive and even though these hosts have some not-so-kind words for each other in private, uh, what you see is at the moment in 2020 when Biden's becoming president and the audience is freaking out and Trump is lying about the election, these hosts kind of come together, you know, almost like a family at a time of loss or heartbreak. <laughs> they, they come together and they, 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 they pair up, they team up with each other. They're, it's like they're fighting against the world together. It's because even though they are at odds, even though they don't like each other necessarily behind the scenes, they all felt like at that time, you know, they were going through something together. <laughs> of course, what they were going through is uh, the Fox audience uh, objecting <laughs> to Biden, objecting to Fox telling the truth about Biden. And so, you know, I think we know what happened. Fox whispered the truth and shouted the lie instead. They shouted Trump's lies instead in order to try to win back the viewers. And is there a Fox 2.0 that emerges from all of this, or is it just more of the same? Right now, I think we're, we're continuing to see um, Fox exist in its own, you know, echo chamber, its own its own environment where, um, you know, Democrats are, are evil, um, are... Uh, perverts are dangerous, um, where Joe Biden is senile and uh, unfit and uh, maybe not actually running the country. Maybe it's actually Barack Obama. You know, that that is the Fox worldview. There's nothing really changing that right now. But I do think Tucker Carlson's firing is a sign of something and maybe not much, but it's a sign of something. Lachlan Murdoch couldn't take it anymore. He He did not want that brand of conspiracy thinking on his network anymore. And maybe Lachlan did it for craven business reasons. I think that's mostly the answer. He just he did it because he wanted to make more money and he can make more money without that conspiracy guy on at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, but but, uh, you know, that was a change. That was a significant change to the lineup. And I think the question now in 2024 is going to be, will Fox, you know, tiptoe a little bit back toward the center, um, tiptoe a little bit closer back toward a shared reality, um, you know, back toward the idea that, you know, maybe maybe Democrats uh, you know, are actually principled in their views and, and not all just, you know, uh, you know, a, a cabal of elites trying to hurt America. You know, may, you know maybe they'll at least be a little more open minded. Again, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to claim they're going to go very far in that direction. But the removal of Tucker was a, a statement by the Murdochs of what they weren't going to tolerate. So in 2024, we will see what they will tolerate and what they won't. And I guess finally, the impact of on cable news and whether or not it is a fading entity at this point. <laughs> cable news, uh, well, let's take off the word cable um, because cable is certainly fading, right? right. Core cutting continues yep. to uh, accelerate. Uh, more and more homes are, are going without the traditional cable bundle with the cable box in the family room. But having a live linear television news coverage of breaking news and having talk shows on when that news is not breaking, that model is not going to go away. 
uh, if, if anything, we're going to see more and more uh, flavors of that news coverage. We're going to see more and more options. You know, we have digital channels now like NBC News Now and an ABC News Live. So there are more players uh, than ever. Um, so cable news, you know, uh, maybe fewer people will actually have the cable bundle, but they're going to be getting CNN, for example, through uh, Max, the, uh, the streaming service that now has CNN basically 24-7. So there's going to be different ways to uh, obtain this, different forms of distribution. But but I really, truly believe that that, that experience of watching someone you trust uh, tell you what's going on in the world, the bad, the good, the bad, that that will endure in different ways. Now, Fox News, a little bit different than that. You know, Fox is mostly a right-wing rage machine, uh, an entertainment product that's disguised as news. Uh, and uh, I don't see any evidence that that's uh, fading away either, because a lot of people, sadly, a lot of people want to be uh, fed the, the, this nonsense. They want to be made angry. They want to be filled with rage. Um, but hey, I think that's uh, that's something that was true before Fox. Fox has accelerated. They've lit a match about it, so to speak. Um, I think what the rest of us can do is uh, be aware of it, be media literate, and uh, and push back against it in our own little ways. You know, uh, you know, maybe at Thanksgiving last week. You know, uh, just personal, private conversations about what is what is really going on in the news, and not what Fox tells you. <laughs> I know sometimes those conversations can go sideways, but uh, I have found that uh, listening helps, and uh, and uh, suggesting a balanced, diverse media diet helps. You know, just like just like uh, our nutrition diet. You know, a balanced media diet serves you well. Brian Stelter, his book is Network of Lies, the epic saga of Fox News, Donald Trump, and the battle for American democracy. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time with us here on the Who, What, Why podcast. Thank you. Good talking with you. Thank you. And thank you for listening and joining us here on the Who, What, Why podcast. I hope you join us next week for another radio Who, What, Why podcast. I'm Jeff Sheckman. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share and help others find it by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. You can also support this podcast and all the work we do by going to whowhatwhy.org forward slash donate.